How long I've been where? Wherever. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to start out in John chapter 3, uh, verse 26, where your theme comes from for the summer. Is it on? Mm -hmm. John chapter 3, verse 26. You know, a lot, a lot of Western movies are all the same. You see a lot of the same story in them. So you can imagine if you've seen a Western movie before, you imagine these two cowboys on the street, dusty street, they're facing off toward each other. They've got their guns on their sides, and one of them says to the other, this town ain't, yes, this town ain't big enough for, for both of us, or for the two of us. One of us has got to go. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. When we talk tonight about this idea about, about he must increase, but I must decrease, in a lot of things in our lives, there's not enough room for two of us. And tonight we're going to talk about the element of trust. And, and in trusting, there's no room for the two of us. If we're going to trust in God in the way that he's asked us to trust in him, he must increase, but we must decrease. We, we can't go 50-50 with him. We can't be mostly us and a little bit him. When God says to trust him tonight, it's going to be, trust me completely. Give me all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. This trust ain't big enough for the two of us. In John chapter 3 and verse 26, I've always loved this about, about John, about John the person. His disciples come to John and they said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. I don't know what they expected when they told him that. But, but you can imagine people saying, hey, the, the person that was with you, look, now he's succeeding. Look at all those people going over to him. And I love that John doesn't say, well, we're going to have to rework our message, or we're going to have to recruit, or we're going to have to go and steal them back, or, or change our approach. He says to them, uh, in verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have sent, been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Look, if you've got a best man at your wedding and he resents the fact that you're the one getting married, you have chosen poorly, right? If he's sitting there thinking, that should be me. I should be the one marrying her. You did not choose the best man. In some ways, you chose the worst man. If he can't be happy for you. And we see this. You know, God knew what he was doing. You can see how much Jesus admired John when he said, there's no one born among women greater than John the Baptist. He admired him. He respected him. He chose well. Because when the time came, look, they're all going to Jesus. John said, yep. I'm not the Christ. I came bearing witness to him. And then in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. He understood there was only room at the head of the church for one person. Only room at the head of the table. And it wasn't him. I believe the more that we trust in ourselves, the less we, we trust in God. And it's difficult. Culture pushes us in the exact opposite way. I forgot my little, my little thing of Kleenex. I, I saw, I brought it with me. Little hand-sized thing of Kleenex, and on the front it says, believe in yourself. It's very common in our culture today. You can do it. Trust your instincts. Believe in yourself. 
when you go to the library, one or to the bookstore, there's a huge section of what kind of books? Self-help. Self-help. You can rely on yourself. You can do this. You can claw your way. Lift yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. Believe in yourself. It's not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach that we, in fact, when Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about despairing of, of life itself, thinking we had the, the burden of death, he said it was to make us depend on God and not ourselves. God intentionally taught Paul, look, this is not you. You can't do this. But I can. We're going to look at some scriptures tonight about when it comes to trust, he must increase. And for that to happen, we must decrease. If you look in your Old Testaments, if you want to follow along in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, we're going to look at verse 9 in just a moment. First, we're going to talk about trusting with your heart. Who has the trust of your heart? Sometimes we trust in our feelings. I saw a very sad interview one time. A young man had gone missing, and the mother came and she said, I just know in my heart that he's still alive. I know it, and I can feel it in my heart. I know in my heart that he's alive. And when they found him, he'd been dead for over a week. But if you talk to that mom in her heart, in her heart she knew. You can probably think of times when you believed, you felt like something ought to go a certain way or was a certain way or would turn out a certain way. You just knew it. But the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, listen to this verse, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, sometimes people will attribute those things to God when really it's their own feelings and heart they're putting their trust in. They'll get into a relationship they shouldn't be in or a place they shouldn't be in. They say, you know, it just feels right. It, uh, it makes me happy. And I feel good. And where's the trust in that? When God says, do not, but your heart tells you, do, and you do, who do you trust in? Have you trusted in God's word or have you put your trust in your own feelings, in your own heart. In Proverbs chapter 3, if you'll turn back in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. What does the Bible say? Does it say believe in yourself? Does it say trust your instincts? Does it say go with your gut? Or does it say this in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5? Trust in the Lord with most of your heart. No. No. Trust the Lord with half your heart, with a portion of your heart, with the most important parts of your heart. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do you know when we trust in God with most of our heart, you know what that looks like? We trust in Him until... We don't like the way things are going. Or until we disagree. You know, mom told me one time, it's not submission when you agree. You know, the, the hard part about submission is when you don't want to go that way. You know when it's hard to trust? When you don't see where you're going. When you don't see how things turn out. And that's when the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. When it feels right. And when your feelings say, Lord, shouldn't we be going that way? Why are you leading me that way? And the Bible says, trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Sometimes we, we have more trust in ourselves and we think, well, I, I'm going to do what I think is right. 
He must increase, but I must decrease. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not, do not lean on your own understanding. How, how well do we understand? You know, I was thinking some, they were building a new power plant out on the other side of town. Did you know they did not call and consult me once? Nobody called. I guess they didn't think I knew anything about building power plants, which would be true. Have you ever had someone talk to you as if they were an expert in something that they were barely a novice in? You know, if someone has tried to lecture you on something and you realize you don't know anything that you're talking about. Can you imagine from God's perspective? Look, trust me. I know what I'm doing. Give me your whole heart. And we say, now, wait a minute, Lord. Let me explain to you how things work. Let me tell you how this is supposed to go. The Bible says don't, <laughs> don't lean on your own understanding. You don't understand those things. I have a, uh, I had this bright idea when I started preaching. My first night for my very first sermon, I thought, you know what? I'm going to record some of these thoughts. And so I had this little brown journal, and I opened it up, and I, I wrote, you know, this is the night before my very first full-time preaching job, and, and then I found out I'm, I'm bad at journals. I don't care anything about them, so I put it away. About four years later, I came across it, read what I wrote, wrote a second entry, put it away. Three or four years later, I came across it again. And do you know what it is now? It's my, you don't know where you're going journal. It really is. Every four to five years, it's been about 10 years, and it's about time to write in it again. But I write about what I thought was going to happen. And then I write about what I think is going to happen. And then years later, when I come across it, I, you didn't know anything. But do you know when I write it, I do my best? I think this is where I'm going. I think this is where our family is headed. I think this is what life is going to be like. And it's my faith journal now. And I only have to write in it every few years. But it, but it reminds me that God says, you trust me. Don't lean on your own understanding. What's the promise? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. There was a lady I was talking to just a few days ago, and she said something about such and such. She said, I was so lucky. And then she stopped and she said, no, I mean, I was blessed. And I said, hey, you did that on purpose, didn't you? She said, yeah, I'm trying to. When I was in my 20s, we had a teacher who said, see how many times in your week you use the word lucky. Boy, that was really lucky. I'm so lucky that that happened. As if it's just a matter of fate or circumstance. And she said, Replace that luck when something goes well. Replace it with God's blessing. I'm so blessed. The Bible says in all your ways, acknowledge Him. When we trust Him, when things go well, and we acknowledge Him in those ways, we realize how well He's taking care of us. Verse 6 in the second part says, In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. He'll make straight your paths. Do you know, in Hebrews 2 and 12, chapter 2 and chapter 12, some translations have the same word for Jesus, that he is the author of our faith in chapter 2 and chapter 12. Those are two different words, though. I think it's the chapter 12 word that means a source, like a, a stream or a, a, a natural thing of water. But in Hebrews chapter 2, if, I, if I've got those right, it's the word that means a pioneer or a leader or someone who goes first. He's the leader of our faith. You know what I like about Jesus? Every time he says in the New Testament, do this, he doesn't say... Go do that. He says, come, follow me and do this. He's the pioneer. He's the, he's the trailblazer. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. I read the other day about hiring to go up on Mount Everest. 
If you hired a Sherpa who lived there and grew up there, and you got to a, a path, would you ever tell that Sherpa, hey, no, 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 no. I think we ought to go this way. I think he'd look at you and say, you do what you want to do, but we're going the right way. You would never seek to do that. But think about how many times we tell God, and God says, I've got this and I understand. I'll make your path straight. You follow me. You acknowledge me in your ways. I'll lead you in the right paths. And we say, I don't like that path. I don't trust you that that's the right path. The Bible says he'll make straight your paths. Verse 7 says, be not wise in your own eyes. See, that's, that's part of the problem. Why do we trust ourselves? Because we think we've got it figured out. We think we've put all the pieces in place. We think we've got enough experience and enough understanding, enough knowledge that we know how things ought to go. And the Bible says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you know how things ought to go. Instead, the end of verse 7 says, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. I was a brand new lieutenant, still being called a butter bar, still being treated like a butter, you know. And they say, you know, they say those, those little gold bars are bulletproof because you just fail all the time. You just make mistakes all the time. You've got no, you've, you've got no influence. You're so brand new. You don't know anything. And, and we, I had to make a call to, to a company. I needed information to do my job. And, and I kept calling. And I kept asking. And I kept asking. And, and there was a, a general. And, and I went to him and I said, sir, I'm sorry. I, I've been asking and asking and asking, but I can't get the information. Held up his hand. He picked up the phone. He said, get my lieutenant what he's asking for. And he hung up the phone. And he smiled and he said, you just lack the horsepower. You know? And it's true. It's true. But it was amazing when you realized somebody who had the horsepower was on my side. Somebody was on my side and could get things done. Somebody was there. And the Bible when it says, fear the Lord, it doesn't mean just be afraid of the Lord. But in understanding that you can trust Him, fear Him, He's God. He's got the horsepower. You can trust Him. When he says, this is what we're going to do. This is my child. This is my daughter. This is my son. We've got this. You don't have the wisdom to know where to go. You don't have the strength. You don't have the experience. You don't have the knowledge. But I do. He's the four star. He's the commander. He's the one who's got all of the knowledge and all of the wisdom. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. If you're going to trust someone and you see someone who's got all the power and all the wisdom and all the authority and you got someone over on the other side with Satan and the Bible says he's going to spend the rest of eternity being tormented day and night forever and ever, whose side are you going to pick? Who are you going to trust? You're going to go with God who's in heaven and a home or you're going to go with Satan who's going to be defeated and be punished? And the Bible says, fear God, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I'm with you, God. I trust you. What's the blessing in verse 8 of having a trusting God? What's the blessing, a trusting heart? What's the blessing of having more of Him and less of me in my heart? Verse 8 says, It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Both spiritually and physically sometimes. Do you remember in 2 Kings chapter 5 the story of Naaman? God's prophet comes. And tells him, 
You know, the little girl says, as a man of God, you can ask him what to do about your leprosy. And so they find out, says, you need to, to dip yourself seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman says, I trust you completely. Right? Because if this is God's will, God knows, and, and God's got the horsepower to heal me, and I trust you, and I trust God. Instead, Naaman flies into a rage. Oh, aren't there better rivers, and wouldn't this be better? Whose wisdom is he relying on? I know what river would be better. I know how to cure this leprosy. You know, if I were God and I could speak to him face to face, I'm afraid I would say, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. You're doing such a great job already with this. Go ahead and take care of your leprosy. But that doesn't stop Naaman from believing he knows what to do. Does that make any sense at all? I have leprosy. I can't get rid of leprosy. Okay, do this and your leprosy will go away. No. I have a better idea. It's like us. We think, well, I'm in this situation. I, I'm, I have this sin. I, I need to get out of this. Father, what do I do? You need to come to me in repentance. No, no, that's not it. I have a better idea. What if we say a prayer? What if we do this? Or what if we wear a medal? Or what if we do this other thing? What if we make something new up? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. What happened when Naaman finally got off his high horse and said, I'll do what you say. Clean like a baby. When he finally gave in and said, okay, I'll do it your way. With all my heart, I'll go down and do it your way. It was healing to his body and refreshment to his bones. That's our heart. Trusting in him with all our heart. He must increase. I must decrease. More of him in the trust in our heart. Less of ourselves. But what about trusting him with our mind? Look in your Bible in Proverbs chapter 28. Your feelings may be deceptive, but what about your intellect? Yeah, surely there are people here who are smart. We, you know, we live in a well-educated society, and some of you have gotten degrees and advanced degrees, and maybe we can trust our intellect. We may not be able to trust our feelings, but you know, proof and facts and numbers, those are things you can trust, right? You can trust your, your mind. Proverbs chapter 28, look at verse 26. Is it a good idea to trust in your mind? Proverbs 20, 28, 26 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. If you trust in your own mind and your own intellect, the Bible says you're a fool. Because in the same way we can think we feel something and trust it and say, I know this is right. I feel it in my heart. How did Paul feel about what he was doing to the church? When he was going around breathing threats and dragging people out of their homes, how did he feel about that? Felt good. It was wrong. How did he think about it? You know, it's a scary verse in the Bible when it says, the time will come when they will kill you, thinking they're offering service to God. I'm serving God, killing that disciple of his, that child of his. You know, sometimes, have you ever been in that situation where you knew that you, that you were right until you found out you weren't? I don't know if, you, if you've ever tried Duolingo, learning a, another language on, on this free language program. But for a while they had translations, and 
it, it was doing a Spanish translation, and, and it, it was an article, and one of the phrases was Montaña Rusa. And I thought, all right, it's mountain and Russian. Russian mountain. So I put it in. Someone comes back later. They changed it to this. Roller coaster. And I look up the guy who changes it. Changed it. He's from Yugoslavia. Obviously not a native speaker. So I'm going to help him out. I put it back. Russian mountain. He changes it back to roller coaster. So not wanting to be arrogant, I write him a very friendly letter and say, Listen, I'm a native English speaker. And this is Russian Mountain. He said, well, he said, I'm a native Spanish speaker, and it's roller coaster. And he went on to explain to me why Montaña Rusa means roller coaster. Roller coasters are in Russia. And, and if you go down into parts of Mexico and you point to a roller coaster and you say, what is that? People are going to say, it's a Russian mountain in Spanish. He was polite to me, but he was very gentle. He was like, look, I understand that you don't know this, but it was, a, it was one of the best language lessons I've ever learned because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was right and he was wrong until I found out that I was wrong and he was right. Can you imagine if I'd written to him and called him an idiot and a fool? And, and, I mean, can you imagine? The Bible says the one who trusts in his own mind is a fool. We can believe we're right. We can be like Paul. We can be like those, and we can think we're doing the right thing and be complete fools. Look in Luke chapter 5. This is a great example where Peter shows what it means to set aside your intellect and your experience and facts to trust God. Luke chapter 5. Look in verse 3. Jesus is calling his first disciples in Luke chapter 3. The Bible says, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. First of all, you notice in the verse, whose boat was it? It's Peter's boat. It's the tool of his trade. This is what he uses to make a living. He knows how fishing boats work. This is his thing. It's his boat. It's his job. We had a dog trainer come in once, and I was telling him all the things I knew about training dogs while my dog was biting on his hair. I finally shook my head after a while and I said, I obviously don't know as much about dogs as I, I think I do. And he said, good, now I can help you. Now I can help you. Once you quit trusting in yourself, once you realize that I'm the one here who's doing this, but Peter's the expert in this situation. Jesus didn't grow up as a fisherman. Have you ever thought about that? A non-fisherman tells a fisherman how to fish. Be like me trying to tell Troy how to... Troy took me fishing for catfish one time. And he starts throwing uh, blood, blood, the blood bait, starts throwing stuff in there. And I said, no, Troy, no, you're going to fill up the fish. They're not going to be hungry. Because that's what I've always been told. 
And he said, no, you get them in a feeding frenzy and then they'll strike anything you put in the water. You just throw a hook in there and, and they'll hit it. Sure enough. And I fished with him that day and I watched him catch fish. But can you imagine me lecturing someone who knows how to fish? This is what it looks like from Peter's perspective. Jesus, the son, says, let me tell you how to catch fish. It's Peter's boat. It's Peter's job. It's Peter's experience. Peter's not a freshman on the job. He's not new at this. In fact, he says, Lord, we've been doing this all night. This is recent experience. We have just been out there doing this. You're not a fisherman. This is Peter's boat, Peter's job, Peter's experience. And what does he say? But at your word, I'll do it. How hard is that to park your intellect behind your trust in God? How many times does God lead you to a point in your life when you don't see it? You don't know where he's going with it. You don't understand where he's going with it. But you say, look, at your word, I will. I don't know how this is going to work out. It doesn't seem like the right thing for me. I've had experience with this not working out. But because you say it, I'll do it. What was the outcome? Did Peter get an I told you so moment? Well, I knew a carpenter didn't know how to fish. Verse 7 says, they signaled, excuse me, when they had done this in verse 6, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Can you imagine? You have a fishing boat that you fish with and now you've caught so many fish, you're going down. So you call your buddy over, you fill his boat up, now he's going down too. What's the message? What is Jesus communicating to Peter? Trust me. He says, you've been fishing. Now I'm going to make you fishers of men. From now on, you'll be catching men. Boy, Peter gets off the boat and he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He, he doesn't understand all that, but he understands. The Bible tells us that God is able to do beyond all we ask or think. Trust Him. Trust Him not only with your feelings, but also with your intellect with your experience, with your, your life lessons that you've learned. Trust Him. Turn back in your Bibles, if you will, to Joshua chapter 1. What about with your fears? Hey, which scares you more? Which kind of movie scares you more? Do you like the movies where people jump out and scare you or the psychological thrillers that make it hard to sleep at night? Heather likes an old Catherine Hepburn movie called Wait Until Dark. Audrey Hepburn, excuse me. Audrey Hepburn, wait until dark, back in 67, I think. But it's all in your head. She wants the kids to see it. It's, it's, it's all kind of a, a psychological thing. What about those fears? What if, what if we have things that we're afraid of? Joshua, you know, Joshua was a great warrior, but when he gets ready to take over and God commissions him in Joshua chapter 1, listen to verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why do you have to keep telling a warrior to be strong and courageous? He's already proven himself. He's already shown that he knows how to fight. And God constantly tells him, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. He's going to face some, some difficult times, some difficult peoples. In Judges chapter 6, I've always liked Gideon. 
in Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 12, the Bible calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. It's no lieutenant. It's a mighty man of valor. This is a warrior. But when we get to chapter 7, and God has taken away most of his men, that doesn't make any sense to a warrior. If I want to win a battle, I need lots of fighters. And God has stripped all but those 300 away. He's down to just a percentage of what he had. And in Judges chapter 7 and verse 10, when God tells him what to do, he says in verse 10, but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. If you're afraid, Gideon, mighty man of valor, go down. Look at the middle of verse 11. What does it say? Then he went down. Gideon, if you're afraid, go down. So Gideon, the mighty man of valor, went down. Why? Because fear is real. Gideon had seen war. He knew what it was like. You don't go to war with just a few hundred men. But God told him to. And then God reassured him. When we have these fears, do you think God is ever afraid on our behalf? When we're afraid of things, do you think God ever shares that fear? If we were to tell God in prayer, God, I'm afraid of what's going on in my life, would God say, well, I'm glad you said that because I'm scared too. He's not afraid. He's not afraid for Gideon. You think God is the least bit worried about Gideon winning? God's got no fear. But he knows Gideon does. And I like this about God. I like that God knows when we trust him with our heart, we trust him with our mind. Sometimes it's hard to trust him with our fears. The Bible says he knows our frame. He's mindful that we're but dust. We are not his brothers and sisters, God's brothers and sisters. We are his children. We are his children. In Matthew chapter 14, when Peter and the others see Jesus, when Peter and the others see Jesus walking on water, it says in verse 25 of Matthew 14, In the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking, they were terrified. Should they have been afraid of Jesus? Not at all. But they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. These are grown men. These are hardworking, tough, grown men. And they see someone and they're so superstitious, they think it's a ghost and they're terrified. Immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart in his eye, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. When he saw the wind, it's easy to trust God when the winds are smooth. You know, I get on an airplane and the plane takes off and there's no turbulence. I have no problem with the pilot. He's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. You just get us there. But Heather and I were flying and the plane dropped. Just felt like 10 feet. And everybody hollered out. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm thinking, how good is that pilot? Yeah. Is he doing what he's supposed to be doing up there? When we have a landing and we're in the, the landing and you're, he's crabbing back and forth in the wind trying to. And I think, are you good at what you do? Because the time that's hard to trust is when the wind is blowing hard. Some translations have that when Peter saw strong wind. He was okay stepping out on the water when the, the wind was calm, but when he saw the strong wind, now he takes his eyes off Jesus. 
And he begins to sink because it wasn't Peter keeping Peter above water. And he cried out. I like this that when we realize, I got this, God. I got this. Until we don't. And then it's God. I don't, I don't got this. <laughs> help. Help. And Jesus said, I'll help you in a minute. I'll let that work on you a minute, Peter. Oh, you have little faith. That is not what your Bible says. I love that in there that the Bible says immediately. Immediately. Jesus is not trying to teach Peter a lesson. When Peter cries out for help, Jesus is showing him, I'm here. I'm here. It's Peter's fault he's sinking. It's Peter's lack of faith. And Jesus calls him on that. But he immediately reaches out for him. You know, when my kids, when my kids get scared of something, especially when they were little and they, they cried out at night, Dad, I didn't run in there and lecture them. I went in there and made sure they were okay. And I didn't say, come on, you're two years old now. You're old. You should be beyond this. And I like that Jesus didn't sit there and lecture Peter. He helped him because he knows our frame. He's mindful that we're a bit dust. But there's a blessing in trusting him when we fear, when there's more of him and less of us. In verse 32, the Bible says, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Do you know what's a true statement? Even the strong winds in your life that kick up the storms, they always eventually cease. Even if it's at the end of our lives, they cease. And the Bible says our life is just a vapor. And so the longest you could ever struggle in the storm is the vapor. And what comes after the vapor? It's the eternity. The wind will cease. He's kind when we're afraid. And as, as we finish up tonight, 1 Peter chapter 4. If you turn to your Bibles in 1 Peter chapter 4. We can trust Him with our heart. We can trust Him with our mind. We can trust Him with our fears. But you know the most important thing the Bible talks about is trusting Him with our souls. We don't always do a good job of this. A lot of times we try to make sure, look, I got this. I'm going to save my soul. I'm going to work this out. I'm going to do enough good. I'm going to serve enough. I'm going to give enough. I'm going to attend enough. I'm going to do this. I've got this. I'll let you know if I need you. You know, on our coins, what, what's the motto we have on there? In God we trust. In God we trust. Do we trust Him with our souls? If I could give you a, a spiritual safe, and you could put your soul in it. And I told you, you can set any combination you want. Lock it up. Who would you trust the combination to? Who would you tell? If it had a key, who would you share it with? Would you just pass it out? Would you just write the combination down and just lay it out on the foyer table? Would you say, hey, if anybody wants the combination of my soul, it's just out here. You wouldn't even do that with your jewelry. You wouldn't do that with physical things. Would you do that with your soul? Who would you trust? And the Bible says, entrust your soul. Verse 19, let those who suffer according to God's word entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What was going on in their life? Verse 12, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. Have you ever noticed that trusting God doesn't mean life will be easy? 
Entrust your soul to a faithful creator when you're suffering, when you're insulted. When, when things aren't going well, trust him with your soul. You know, that's one reason I get so frustrated with the prosperity movement, because it teaches just the opposite. If you have enough faith in God, if you just trust him, everything's going to be okay. You know what Peter says? Trust in God with all your heart and trust your soul to him, even when you're suffering. Even when things are going bad, even when you're insulted, even when people turn against you. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator in doing what's right. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in the very next chapter, we see the blessing of trusting God with our soul. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. I'm going to trust you with my soul. If you have to humble me here on earth, if you have to have me go through sufferings, whatever you have to do, just like Paul, if, you have to, if I have to suffer in order to trust you, do what you need to do. And it always reminds me of the verse in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 35. In Hebrews chapter 11, you talk about all the people who suffered. Listen to their suffering. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And they all got together one day and said, we never should have trusted God. Because look what life has turned out to be. We were so wrong to trust God. He failed us. Is that in any one scripture? When it talks about all the garbage they went through and all the, the suffering and all the pain and all the loss that they went through, and it gets to the end and it says, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Hebrews chapter 11 is not just about faith. It's about trust. When they lay the saw across your stomach, it's about trust. When you're living in a cave, it's about trust. Believing that God will do what He said He's going to do after this life. Not necessarily during. What promise did we get in this life? In this world, you'll have tribulation. But, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Trust me. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want to close in with Matthew chapter 27. You know, sometimes people will hurl an insult at you. Caleb, Caleb was at, a, at school and someone said, are you a mama's boy? I think you're a mama's boy. And he said, if you're saying, do I love my mother? The answer is yes. Made Heather very happy. Sometimes we think we're throwing an insult at someone and it's not an insult at all. Have you ever noticed in Matthew 27 verse 43? Look at verse 41. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him. Here's their making fun of him. Here's their mocking. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. Look at verse 43. What an insult. He trusts in God. <laughs> he trusts in God. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. We sing that song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way.
And we understand the obedience part. We know that we need to obey. But there's trust and obey. Trust Him with your heart. Trust Him with your mind. Trust Him when you're afraid. Trust Him with your soul. With all of it. He must increase, but I must decrease. We need to make room. Thank you for being here tonight.